I had, I had no idea you could milk a cat. Oh, yeah, you can milk anything with nipples. I have nipples, Greg. Could you milk me? Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan. Uh, sorry about the voice, I'm a bit husky today, but the show must go on. So, today on The Detail, New Zealand's large-scale shift to dairy farming has made dairy one of our biggest export earners and made Aotearoa a powerhouse in the world of milk products. But there are storm clouds on the horizon. It's being predicted that the recent Climate Change Commission report on reducing carbon emissions will start a fight over herd sizes. The Commission was willing to go ahead with what's somewhat of a, a political taboo and, and say there should be fewer cows in New Zealand. On average, it would be a 50% reduction. Sooner or later, the country faces a reckoning. We have too many cows, and a change is going to come, whether we like it or not. The consequences of climate change for agriculture are potentially some of the heaviest in the country. Probably the thing I hear most often is, OK, I don't mind doing this, but tell me what to do. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what is the plan here? And I think that's probably how households and, you know, people in waning industries are going to feel as well. Today on the podcast, we're exploring one of those ideas, the plausibility, pathway and challenges in shifting from one type of milk to another, from grazing cows in the paddock to sowing uh, oats. Pete McKenzie is a Wellington-based journalist who's written a piece for the Sunday Star Times about the oat milk industry. Oats are fantastic. You will have grown up eating your porridge, using them for baking. There's a, you know, a, a traditional oat industry, and it's the, the classic Kiwi breakfast. But increasingly, oats are part of this incredible skyrocketing new industry, which is plant-based milks. Uh, so you'll know your soys, you'll know your coconut milks, and oat is right up there with them. And I was really curious about that. One, because I, I drink oat milk myself. I'm a, I'm a classic urban Wellingtonian. Quick interjection to briefly chastise Pete here while he's unable to defend himself. Oat milk is yum. I drink it too. There is nothing urban or Wellingtonian about it. Let's not make this a class war. But also because I was really fascinated to see what the economics of oats were and particularly what the climate change related impacts of oat farming was. Oats, to the best of my knowledge, do not have nipples. How do you get oat milk? You're you're 100% right. Um, that, was a, that was a tough first hurdle to get over. <laughs> the, the way that you milk an oat uh, is, is an intensive process. So you have to first take harvested oats and then add water, add a whole bunch of enzymes to create what they call an oat base. And then once you've got an oat base, uh, basically this kind of liquid sludge, you're able to run it through um, ultra-high temperature processing infrastructure, which is the same thing we use for dairy, same thing we use for, for um, juices and that kind of thing. And that turns it into the much smoother, um, much more kind of creamy oat milk that, that we know today. So there's a really kind of intricate process that you have to go through in order to get from the oat in its natural form to the oat that you'll see, the oat milk that you'll see in a cafe. Mm -hmm. Let's talk some criticisms of oat milk. Uh, chief among them, the fundamental question of whether or not oat milk is indeed milk. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Chris Lewis, the, the chairman of Federated Farmers, he doesn't call it milk. He calls it a juice. In his mind, you know, you're adding water to a plant and you're, you're turning it into something that you consume. 
you're not getting it directly from an animal. And this is a really common critique, you know, particularly overseas, where this issue of, of whether to call oat milk and plant-based milks a milk has been swept up into that kind of culture war. We haven't seen that same level of culture war uh, type tactics in New Zealand, but we're seeing hints of it. You know, Fonterra, whose slogan is, of course, dairy for life. Fonterra have criticised the amount of nutrients in oat milk. They've criticised the amount of greenhouse gas, uh, gases emitted per nutrient in oat milk. And we've seen dairy producers really sceptical of that idea of plant-based milks. And that nutritional, I mean, because that might seem like a semantic argument that's being made there, but I, I kind of get it to, 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 to a point. You know, when I think of milk, milk, the word milk brings to my mind certain nutritional qualities of protein mm. and of calcium. And straight up, oat milk does not give you those same nutrients, correct? Yes. So you're 100% right. The, the idea is calcium builds your bones, right? That's why I drank milk as a kid. Yeah. And oat milk can't compete. It doesn't have the same level of nutrients as dairy does. But it tries to compete on other grounds. It tries to compete on taste, tries to compete on climate friendliness. And so there is a, a fair argument that they are different types of product. This story is about oats, but it is also just as much about farming, really. So let's do a 180-degree pivot and start talking about farming. For much of New Zealand's history, we were sheep farmers, right? But at some stage in the late 20th century, there is this mass migration to dairy. Why does this happen? Yeah, so for, for most of our history, the white gold was, was wool. You're 100% right. And to a lesser extent, it was, it was lamb, it was mutton. Mm. But then we got to this, this new white gold of, of milk. And the reason for that was that in the kind of late 80s and early 90s, agricultural subsidies were stripped away from New Zealand farmers, which meant that they were exposed to the competitive pressures of the global market in a way that they had never been before. And at the same time, the price of mutton, the price of wool, the price of lamb, as with a huge number of other agricultural products, started to decline. And the only or one of the few agricultural products that stayed stable or grew was dairy. And so thousands of New Zealand farmers across the country made the simple economic choice. They would shift away from the farming practices that they'd had up until then, which were largely balanced, but with maybe a bit of a focus on sheep and other products of that sort, they would shift to intensified dairying. The problem was these were established farmers. They had established infrastructure. They had established processes. So to make that shift, they had to spend a huge amount of money. And so they took out an extraordinary amount of debt. The figure is something like 260% increase over the last few decades in farm debt, dairy farm debt to a total of about $40 billion today in dairy farm debt. And so now we have this huge increase in the number of dairy cattle in New Zealand. It's almost doubled in the past uh, few decades from about 3.4 million to about 6.3 million. And the amount of debt that those dairy farmers are holding is staggering. Why is that debt important? It's the same as any debt that you have. So if you're lucky enough to have a house, you pay your mortgage. If, you're, if you've got a student loan, you pay that. 
with any debt comes the cost of servicing that debt. And that's what these dairy farmers are doing. They have these multi-million dollar debts and every month they have to pay a staggering amount just to keep it stable, let alone to pay it off. And so they find themselves stuck, even if they wanted to transition to a, a more environmentally friendly mode of farming. They are financially constrained from doing so because they have to pay every month, every week, the, the cost of servicing that debt. Now, this all happened in the late 80s, early 90s. It was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. But if you look at New Zealand today, there are still a lot of dairy farms. Over the past 30 years, dairy exports have grown from just over $2 billion a year to a touch over $20 billion. So is it fair to say that, all things considered, this has sort of worked out? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The first reason is that our dairy industry has has just done really well. You know, there's been, on the whole, with, with some exceptions, good business decisions which allowed uh, us to build our dairy market, uh, our dairy industry, into a prestige industry for New Zealand. So dairy products in New Zealand are in demand overseas. Secondly, beyond good bus- business des- decisions and beyond demand, the environmental costs of dairy were never taken into account. Farmers didn't have to pay the cost that they were inflicting on their environment around them. And so we were basically subsidizing farming as a result. Now, both of those things, to some extent, to a greater or lesser extent, are being undone. Our herd sizes are are enormous. So, you know, uh, I mentioned before, we have approximately 6.3 million dairy cattle in New Zealand. And that number has to go down. It has to go down. Currently... Dairy cattle contribute 21% of our overall uh, greenhouse emissions. And the Climate Change Commission, in its recent formal advice to government, said that in order for us to meet our climate target, in order for us to have even a bare chance of being successful, we have to cut the number of dairy cattle in New Zealand by 13%. So we're in a situation where the backbone of our farming industry have taken on a considerable amount of debt to pivot into dairy that has worked out financially but we're now in a position where many of those farms are going to have to reduce their herd sizes but they have taken on so much debt that they still have to service that simply pivoting to something else isn't a viable decision exactly the the complicated environmental and financial equation that farmers have to solve is how do they make the transition to a more climate-friendly mode of farming financially viable? And that is where oat milk comes up. Oat milk has become extremely popular in Aotearoa, New Zealand. At the start of this year, cafe owners reported that they were running out of oat milk due to its popularity at barista counters around the country. The supply line is stretched, and it's not helped by the fact that a lot of oat milk has to be brought in from overseas. Oat farming has this really long history in New Zealand. It was one of the kind of classic agricultural crops that were farmed, particularly in Southland, it turns out. Southland has a really good climate for growing oats, and it's, it's relatively famous within oak circles for that kind of that kind of output. But at the same time, the existing market for oats was relatively full. You know, we had enough oats to make porridge, we had enough oats for our baking needs. That was all full up. And so oat farmers who could see the dilemma that their dairy farming counterparts were in 
and could see the fact that oak farming was, you know, a, a, a climate friendly way of doing things, wanted to figure out a solution. And the solution to that, the solution to making oak farming viable for dairy farmers to transition to, was to find a new product. And that product was oat milk. In addition to being yummy, oat milk has a bunch of positive characteristics. Oats are easy to grow, they have multiple uses, unlike cows they neither fart nor do they poo, and they're much less resource intensive. According to the Columbia Climate School, it takes about 1,050 litres of water to produce a single litre of cow's milk. An equivalent amount of oat milk takes about 45 litres of water to produce. The global oat milk industry is worth more than 300 million US dollars and it's projected to grow to close to a billion US dollars over the next five years. All across New Zealand, we've seen these new oat milk companies cropping up. There's, you know, Otis, there's All Good, there's Boring. Here is Boring Oat Milk Chief Executive Morgan Moore speaking to Catherine Ryan back in September. So my auntie had a dairy farm, so I'm from Taranaki and, you know, very strong dairy ties there. And the reason that I got into it in the first place was, you know, I saw um, farms like my auntie's farm and they were growing oats on there to help, you know, soak up the nitrogen because, you know, a lot of farms in New Zealand are really heavy in nitrates. And so oats are really gentle on the soil. And I thought, you know, why is it that we've only got, you know, oats grown for animal feed? and like porridge and granola, we should be making more products out of boats. All of them had that goal of creating a new premium product that people would pay enough for that would create demand for oats and therefore make it profitable for dairy farmers to transition to a more balanced mode of farming that maybe had some livestock but also had a focus on crops like oats. The reason oats are considered to be a good product is because the process of manufacturing is relatively direct. You, had the, you have this huge substance of oats, which you pump directly into um, the oat base and then into the, uh, the UHT facilities, uh, and it's all relatively efficient. Whereas for agriculture, you have to put enormous amounts of feed into a single cow. That single cow produces much less milk than, what you're, than the feed that you're putting in. And at the same time, that cow is pumping out crack, it's pumping out methane, it's pumping out these environmental costs, both to the climate and to the local environment, that makes them really damaging. The biggest player is probably Otis, which was started by two kind of expat Kiwis who had come back and they were just distraught at the state of the environment that they could see around them. Um, one of them, a guy called Chris Wilkie, recalled for me seeing his local river and wanting to take his, his two really young kids to go and swim in it like he had when he was growing up. And when they went down to the river, his parents said, it's okay if they go in, but they probably shouldn't put their heads under. Mm. And he just reeled from that, right? Like that was, that was devastating for him. So he wanted to do something to change that. So Otis is a big player. There's other players like All Good. All Good is another one. Um, and Boring. And the interesting differences between these companies is that Otis gets its oats from New Zealand, from New Zealand farmers, but then it sends them over to Sweden for them to be processed. Allgood gets both its oats and does its processing in Sweden. And it's only Boring that gets both its oats and does its processing in New Zealand. And the reason for that is that while we have great 
ultra high temperature processing infrastructure in New Zealand, that intermediary step of turning the oats into oat base in the first place was incredibly hard. Nobody in New Zealand really knew how to do it and nobody in New Zealand had the facilities to do it. So Morgan Moore, the founder of Boring, she says, you know, making oats overseas was not negotiable for her. But to get there, she had to spend unbelievable sums of money on R&D. She had to take three years uh, to figure it all out. And even now, she's only making, you know, runs of 30,000 litres at a time. So while it worked out for her, it wasn't a super commercially viable process to be processing these oats in New Zealand. So what, a company like Otis would go around oat farmers, they would buy up Mm. their oats, they would send them off to Sweden, they get processed and turned into milk in Sweden, and then packaged up and sent back to New Zealand and then sold. Is that pretty much how it goes? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, And, you know, these guys are using climate offsets to the best of their ability, but they're they're still pumping, you know, emissions into the atmosphere from the process of, of transporting these oats there and back. And so that was a real dilemma, that these guys are in the oat game because they want to make an environmental difference. But for them to be commercially viable, they were really struggling to do that in a way that wasn't causing the kinds of emissions that they wanted to avoid. Let's talk money just quickly in this. So, like, Mm. I mean, there has been an absolute boom in plant-based milk over the plant-based milks over the past few years. How much is this industry worth all in all? Yeah, totally. It's hard to get precise figures, but you're right that the industry is booming. Stuff reported that the amount that New Zealanders spent on plant-based milks in general went from $52 million in 2017 to $144 million two years later in 2019, almost a threefold increase. And so that's a an amazing trajectory to be on, right? What about, though, profitability? Because, I mean, if if the idea is finding a more sustainable way to to either transition away from dairy or to complement dairy, the profit margins are quite important, right? And dairy is still a very profitable industry. Am I thinking along the right lines here? You definitely are. So, again, figures are really hard to find, but I spoke to Dairy NZ. Now, obviously they have a vested interest in dairy. But the internal figures that they cited to me was that you make roughly $3,000 profit per acre uh, for a dairy farm and you make roughly $1,500 profit per acre for a oat farm. A huge difference. Yeah. And so the challenge then is can these businesses make oat milk profitable enough that they can make oat milk, uh, sorry, make oat farming uh, similarly profitable. Well, I mean, I suppose a local processing plant would help a lot with that. Are there plans for a processing plant for oats to be to be established in New Zealand? Yes, absolutely there are. The oat industry is hoping to capitalise on the popularity of oat milk with plans to build a plant-based milk factory in New Zealand. Growers, processors and retailers flocked to a farm near Gore today to talk about the future opportunities of the grain. This whole industry saga was playing out. And then the kind of economic development agency down in Southland, this this kind of quasi-governmental agency called Great South, stepped in and they said this is a market failure and so what we're going to do is we're going to get some investors like Sir Stephen Tyndall and his K1W1 investment company and we're going to build a local large-scale 
oat milk factory through this company that we'll set up called New Zealand Functional Foods. And so they've broken ground on this. They're hoping that the construction is going to be completed by within the next kind of two years. Graham Garden, the, the farmer I spoke to, he's more conservative. He thinks it'll, it'll take kind of four years or so. Mm-hmm. But the aim is that New Zealand, within a few years, will have an oat milk factory that can pump out 40 million litres of oat milk every single year. Gee, that's a lot of oat milk. Like, because I, I was actually wondering this. Is oat milk an export product or is it mainly what we produce here, we consume here? Well, so that's the thing. It would be great if, you know, heaps of Kiwis transitioned from dairy to drinking oat milk in the minds of these businesses. But for it to be really profitable, they have to start to mimic Fonterra. They have to start to make oat milk a prestige export product that consumers all over the world are interested in. And by doing so, they hope that they can boost demand massively and make this farming incredibly viable. What is the idea here? Is the idea that loads of dairy farms in New Zealand decide to throw in the towel on dairy and do a full-scale transition from dairy to oat? Or is it that oats could be integrated onto dairy farms you know you take a a slice of your profit of your property and then you reduce your herd size a bit and you start up a wheat oat side hustle like what is the what is the vision from the people who are driving this oat milk revolution along yeah great question so a lot of the people who are involved in this oat milk revolution you know the founders of otis the founders of boring they're inspired by these american companies like impossible foods who want to spark this wholesale transition from, in Impossible Foods' case, it's from beef patties to plant-based patties or or lab-grown patties. And in the process, they just want to completely wipe the meat industry out. But while the New Zealand oat milk people are inspired by that example, they're not copying it. They don't want to wipe dairy out. They just want to reduce the prevalence and reduce the amount of dairying in New Zealand, preferably by about 13%, like the Climate Change Commission wants. And what that would do is it would bring New Zealand closer towards the kind of balanced mode of farming where you have crops like oats and you grow them on your farm in rotation. And then you also have livestock and you rotate those crops around and you rotate those livestock around so that you're constantly regenerating the land, not sucking the life out of it. So it's not a wholesale rejection of dairy. It's a transition from intensified industrialized dairy back to some form of balance. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded by New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Pete McKenzie. And finally today, the detail has been nominated for the Listener's Choice Award at the NZ Podcast Awards. Voting is still open. And if you enjoy our work, we would love your vote. Just head to the NZ Podcast Awards website and follow the prompts. Kakite Arnold.